Troy and I have the same favorite cooking show. Anybody, any cooking show fans out there? Come on. All right, what do we like? What do we like? What do we got? Great, oh, Great British Baking Show. What's great about the Great British Baking Show is the calm. I feel like if it was an American show, it'd be like, poof, right? Like all this like, you're going to lose. You've got a soggy bottom. And it's like, ah! But like the Brits are like, okay, that's on me. I got it, right? All right, what else we got? Master Chef, okay, yeah, that's one of those boof shows. It's good though, it's good. All right, Troy and I, our favorite cooking show, Top Chef. And there's a thing about Top Chef, if you haven't seen it, if you watch the celebrity chef judges, they all do kind of a very similar thing. So, so when they're about to taste a plate to judge it. So when I eat food, I just, I'm talking, I'm you know, eating. They like take the plate, they look at it. They, they smell it. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I think they're listening to it, right? They're like, they're touching it. Then they eat it, right? So they're, they're trying to do this almost like full sensory experience of food. Like I'm just like, yeah, this is great, right? But they're like touching, smelling, feeling. All right, so with that in mind, if you were to imagine with me a full sensory experience of, of this little thought experiment. Okay, this is about, it's about an espresso-sized cup. Okay, now let's say you are my celebrity chef judge, and I take a tablespoon. And a tablespoon is how many teaspoons? And take that, Bill Gates. Public education has not failed us yet, all right? A tablespoon, three teaspoons, okay? And we put a one tablespoon of salt in our espresso-sized cup. We fill it with water, and you need to drink it. All right, now what kind of experience do you think that would be? Like, you know you, that your neck kind of tenses up, like all of a sudden you feel like you're at Cape Cod, like you're drowning in the ocean. Not super good, okay? Now, if for whatever reason though, we take this pitcher and we put a tablespoon of salt in said pitcher and you need to drink from that, what would the experience be like? Yeah, it's still not great, but it's more tolerable, all right? Because you have expanded the container, all right? If we start with this container, doesn't matter, same amount of salt, you feel it. This container, same amount of salt, but it just gets diluted because there's, it's a larger container. If we think about Christianity, if we think about growth, how do we expand our container? How do we move from experiencing salt, the things that life just throws at us, how do we move from being whoa, overwhelmed, stuck in a constant state of anxiety, fearful, angry? How do we move from being totally overwhelmed by salt, something out of our control, to a place where we have a larger container. We have more of a capacity. The salt doesn't change, but the container changes. How do you move from an espresso-sized cup to a pitcher? Historically, that is where the argument has been. 
Richard Lovelace, who uh, he went to a school in New Haven, Connecticut. Right, that's how they say it, right? You know. He went to a school in New Haven, and he wasn't a Christian, like the 70s, I think. And miraculously gets saved. Starts going around and being like, hey, how do I grow? How do I grow? And he's totally surprised by all the answers he gets. Lots of people have lots of plans for how he's supposed to grow. So he was a really sharp guy. He started studying history. And what he found was that Protestants, so you and me, uh, historically have not had an answer to that question. So he found actually writings from around like late 1600s, early 1700s, where uh, Protestants were saying that the Reformation was only half a Reformation. And what that means was we solved the, the big question, how do we get made right with God? Right? Do we have to earn our way to God or is it a gift? We answered that question. But we didn't answer the other question. Now what? Right? And again, we're not going to blame anybody. You know, there's only so much you can do with one lifetime. But, you know, a hundred years after that, they're asking questions of like, how do people grow? And there have historically been two answers to that question. Two ideas have emerged. One idea is, well, people, they trust Christ. And then the way that they grow in holiness is to leave the world. That's how you grow. So what's the plan for growth? What's the plan for expanding your capacity for moving to an espresso cup to a pitcher? Tree houses. Just get out of society, run for the hills, because these people are, just avoid the mess, right? That was, that was a strategy. Strategy number two arose. How do we grow in our capacity? Strategy number two, it can be said many different ways, and people today hold this pretty tightly, people we know and love and learn from. So I want to be really careful how I say it, but this is essentially how it's said. How do we grow? What's the point of your Christian life? Is to sin less. The point of your Christian life is to, and it may be said in many different ways, grow in holiness, have sin lose its grip on your life. I'm trying really carefully not to build a straw man out of this. Like people we learn from and love believe this. How do you grow as a Christian? You stop sinning as much. You let sin lose its grip on your life. What I want to suggest to you is that won't really work. That won't grow your capacity to move from an espresso cup to a pitcher. It's not going to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. Or as they say, the center will not hold, Jim. Now, before we keep going further, let me just say this. Do we take, is sin a serious problem? Yes. Yes. It's incredibly naive to say sin isn't a problem. Sin, falling short of God's design. Right? It creates chaos. It creates injustice. It creates suffering. We are not a fan of chaos, injustice, and suffering. It's very naive to say like, oh, sin, who cares? It doesn't matter. When I hear someone saying that, I'm like, that's someone who hasn't spent much time in the real world. Right? Adults abusing children. Leaders and authorities being manipulative and abusive and lying and the damage that creates. Ugh, evil and we hate it. 
My question this morning, though, is as we grow, as we pursue expanding our capacity, do we want to be known for what we're against or do we want to be known for what we're for? How do we create beauty? How do we create flourishing in the world? How do we experience flourishing? It's not going to come by sinning less, making that the center, making that the focus. In my opinion, at best, what happens when we do that is we become the focus and people become threats. And so you either, on the one hand, become very prideful, man, look at how much sin I've gotten rid of, or you become incredibly discouraged and you quit. And either way, you're left wondering, is this what God has for me? Like, when was the last time you just, just were honest and allowed yourself to ask that question? Is this God's best? Is, am I experiencing that, that abundant life Jesus promised? Am I flourishing? Or quote Pink Floyd, am I alive and sur- am I surviving or am I truly alive? How do we expand our capacity? Because we cannot, we cannot expand our capacity by just getting rid of salt. I was recently on a flight from Long Beach to Kansas City, as you are, and uh, there was a guy on the, the plane with me. He had to have been from the Midwest. All right, like I don't, I didn't know this guy, but you just look at him and you're like, Mr. Midwest, right? It might have been his brewer's hat, but I mean, he just looked like he was so Midwest. And what happened was the flight was supposed to be 11:10 that we were we were leaving, and so you know, my dad drilled into me always two hours early for your flight, so I'm there at like nine, and then that 11:10 goes to 11:15, 11:30. 12, 1, and you know, it, for, for those of you who are just curious about human behavior, airports are a great place to just watch, <laughs> right? Because people were freaking out. Are you serious? Like, I don't know. I had a good book, so I was just watching the show. But I felt bad because there was a guy who was trying to get back, and he took this flight because that evening... His, uh, his daughter was graduating preschool, and, he, and he's like, I took this flight because I didn't want to miss it. And I, so I felt bad for that guy. But everybody else was just like, fun to watch. You're in a big hurry to go nowhere. All right, you're going you're gonna to sit here, play it on your phone, and then you're going to be at home playing on your phone. Like, what's the difference? So anyway, but Mr. Midwest was a non-anxious presence. It was beautiful. So, the, you know, there's a family with, traveling with like four kids, which, if you've ever been on a plane with a family with four kids, you know. And if you've ever been that family, you definitely know, right? It's, you know, airplanes and children, a match made in heaven, right? <laughs> and so, they, you know, they're starting to get anxious. And Mr. Midwest was great. He was just like, you know, talking to the kids, joking. And at one point, he even said, hey, the way I see it, the way I see it is what's ours to own, we can freak out about. But if it's out of our control, we can't really freak out about that. I was like, Mr. Midwest, thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. You know what we cannot control? How much salt gets dumped in your cup. You can't. Right? You can try to do things to mitigate how much chaos you let in your life. But it doesn't work. 
And some people say we're so miserable actually because we're trying to protect ourselves from things upsetting us that actually makes us even more miserable. So we can't control how much salt gets dumped in our cup. But we can control is are we willing to take the steps to move from growing from an espresso cup to the pitcher? Are we willing to do the work to grow in our capacity to have a different response to the salt? That's what these two trees represent. On the one hand, the tree of life, where God is providing for us. His presence says, hey, stay with me. I'm for you. I'm on your side. I'm coming after you. And I'm relentless. Trust me. And our other tree, which I, just for the record, we did the same amount of watering and we left them in the same space. And I don't know what happened to this, but it's appropriate that it's not the good tree. So we just lucked out there. But this tree, which says, I'm going to go it alone. Yes, God has said these things. Yes, he's, he's shown himself to be this. But I, I, I just need to figure this out. I need to trust my own wisdom. Those are the two choices before us. And we'll never grow in our capacity. We'll never grow as people if we stay at this tree. We'll just keep trying the same things over again. We might try different things differently, but we're just going to stay. And the invitation is to say, hey, live at this tree. And the question then becomes, how? Because salt does come. In this world, you will have trouble. I mean, I wish it weren't the case, but salt's coming your way. You, we really aren't in control over, you know, a government that prints a ton of money and then a couple months later is like, oops, we have more money than we can spend, inflation. And after a couple months of that goes, oh, we got to raise rates to tide this inflation and then, ah, uh, you know, stag, stagflation. And then, oh, unemployment. We, we, we can't control that. Salt. You can't control that your son-in-law is a moron. That he took your little girl from you and he just has no plan for his life and she's supporting him and you, you're working really hard to be a life-giving, loving presence but you just see things that they do and you're like, ah, I love you. You can't control those things. You can't control the phone call that comes and yes, that spot, we need to have a conversation about that spot. Salt will come your way. And when it does, the temptation is to leave this tree for this tree. Or maybe not even. The temptation might be to just like, like okay, I'm still here. I'm still trusting God. I still believe you're for me. And I've really got to take care of myself. I've really got to, I've just, this is bad. I've got to do something. How do we stay at that tree? What does it look like to stay at that tree? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We've called this series Primary Colors because we're saying that the early chapters of Genesis are the primary colors that, that from there just paint 
the rest of the biblical story. So basically, the biblical story is just a retelling of what happened in Genesis, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful. And so we're going to see how Abraham, the story of Abraham is a story about a man who struggles to live under this tree. He has to learn. He, he, he starts out with a very small cup, but it's a cup. God appears to him, says, go. And he's like, good, going. And there's a pattern in his, in his life. God makes a promise, then salt happens. That's a t-shirt, all right? You're welcome. Salt happens. God promises, salt happens. And we can learn from Abraham's experience. We can learn from his pain. And we can see what God's best really is for us. If you've ever found yourself wondering, is there more? The story of Abraham says, oh yeah, there's so much more. It's an adventure. It's traipsing through the jungle. It's wonderful. It's big sky country under this tree. Oh, it's so fun. Come on the adventure with us. But we're people who have it deeply ingrained that, no, 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 no yes, and. And the story of Abraham is about learning to trust that no matter what salt comes your way, he's good, he's for you, he's on your side. Oh, and by the way, he's relentless. We are going to see a God who is working to expand our capacity no matter what salt comes our way, we can sit under this tree with him because he will provide. So Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read and uh, we're going to try something. Uh, in Genesis 1 through 11, the word curse is, is given five times. So five times God sees what sin does and goes, this is curse, right? This is not human flourishing. This is not my best. This is destructive. This is a curse. Five times in this downward spiral from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11. Right? Like it just, the, the rodeo keeps going. It keeps getting bad, 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 bad. Five times God said, this is cursed. This is bad. I want you to count with me how many times in the opening few sentences he speaks to Abram, how many times you hear the word bless. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read it. I'm going to say, and God blessed, and then you'll count with me. So, blessed, one. Be a blessing, two. Okay? And just keep, keep your ears out for how many times the word blessed is used after the word cursed is used five times. The answer will not surprise you. Here we go. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed all the damage that sin did in eight chapters, God undoes 
with three verses. We're not done yet. So, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years young when he set out from Haran. He took Sarai, his wife, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had acquired and all the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. They arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far um, as the site of the great what? Uh-oh. At Morah, at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Let's call on his name together. Lord, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But the beauty of the story you tell is not one of doomed failure. It's one of continued faithfulness. God, no matter what salt comes our way, you are unstoppable. But God, we are frail. And God, it's hard for us to truly believe. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to really see and experience the renewal that you are for us, you're on our side, you're coming after us, and you're relentless. God, help us to grow as people who live with a greater capacity to see who you are, what's happening in our world, and how we can respond in a way that in increases flourishing. And ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, so what you just read... Look, just so you can see it, some of you visual people out there. Uh, God shows up to Abraham and says this, I'm going to bless the world through you. So we're going to reverse the curse, all this damage that has been done by sin, all this trusting in yourself and the chaos that comes through that. You, Abraham, are going to be someone who experiences blessing. And you're not just going to experience it for yourself. It says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So, has anybody ever watched the show Ted Lasso? In the show, it's Apple TV, Ted Lasso. It's basically like America's coach goes to England, coaches a soccer team. It's a very toxic culture. The opening of that show, though, Ted Lasso is like a healthy person going into an unhealthy environment. And he, the, the, the opening credits song shows a guy sitting in an empty stadium. And I think all the chairs are blue. But as Ted sits in a spot, his chair becomes red. And then the red spreads. And so then he keeps moving around, and then pretty soon the whole stadium is full of red seats. And the message is this. Health affects unhealth. Healthy people can transform unhealthy environments. Now, 
if a, an American football coach can do that for a British football team, how much more can the God of creation say, hey, there's chaos. This world is a mess. It's a dumpster fire. And I'm not abandoning it. I'm going to transform the chaos through people, through you. You're a blessing to change and transform, to see renewal, to work toward human flourishing with others. Abram, we're doing that together. I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm not done with creation. Yes, it's bad, but do not do what the fundamentalists do and just take your basketball and go home. All right, we're going into the darkness. And how does Abraham respond? Uh, chapter 12, God says it in chapter 12, verse 1. And what happens in chapter 12, verse 4? And Abram went as the Lord had told him. He has a cup. It's a little cup, but he has a cup. He responds with faith. He's able to say, God, you've shown up in my world. I'm going to trust you. Okay? It's a cup. Amazing. Right? And there's even hints that God is going to keep expanding this blessing. That the seats are going to keep turning red. Look, uh, look with me in verse 4. And Lot went with him. Now some people think, wait a minute. Didn't God say in verse 1, don't bring your family? And some see, Abraham's, his cup's very tiny. He can't even obey God. First thing. I don't believe that's what's happening here. I think if that were the case, it would say, and Abram brought Lot with him. doesn't say that. It says Lot came with him. I think already Abraham is starting to flip the seats. I think seats are already starting to change color. Lot sees, man, this is different. I'm coming. And he comes on his own accord. So we see God showing up, blessing. And Abram going, yeah, okay. The cup is little. Then this pattern keeps working itself out. We get some salt. Look with me at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. That's salt. All right? If you live in an agrarian society, you, you kind of need not famine. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while. And the author is almost saying at this point, don't blame, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. Because the famine was severe. He's almost saying, like, look, Hey, look, he go into the land. God said, promise him, go to the land. And now there's a threat to the promise, right? God, I'm going to give you a land. And then the threat, the salt. What is it? The land's going to get destroyed. There's no rain. Uh, it's not really much good for you to live in this land. It's going to get wrecked. Threat, all right? And Abram so far hasn't done anything super bad, all right? The author's like, look, it was a severe famine. Cut the guy some slack, all right? But then what happens? Verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me and let you live. Uh-oh. What we have here, his cup is small, the salt is strong. Ugh. Right? There's a threat to the promise. And so he's like, okay. I, okay, we can, do, we can do both, right? We're obeying God. We're still going to do this land. But let's just hedge our bets here. Right? So again, if you've been paying any attention to anything in the news, you, you know there's a lot going on in the world that's anxiety-inducing. All right? So you, 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 know, you open your favorite news app. See, even that, what, 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 what are you reading? 
Is this Fox News? Is this New York Times? Like, what? Right? There's, there's anxiety around things, right? Can't even get to the news without anxiety. You get to the news, and then it's like, here's all the crazy stuff that's happening. All right? That's our salt. The invitation for us is not to pick a side and join the crazy. That's this tree. Right? Our wisdom says, find the winner and hedge your bets with the winner. Right? Okay, so we're going to say, okay, this side right now seems to be doing well. That's, who, that's whose side we're on. The invitation for Abram, stay at the tree. Trust. What would that look like? I have no idea. Right? But it's saying, hey, this, he said he was going to do this. We can trust this. But if your cup is still tiny, it's, it's not going to get expanded. How do you expand the cup? How do you grow in your awareness of both who God is and what he's doing in the present situation? There is only one way that I'm aware of. The best way. The central way to do that. The central way... To start saying, hey, I've got a cup, it's small, but I want to grow. I want to I be more aware of who God is and what he's doing. I want to be aware of my situation. How do you grow your cup? There's only one way to do it. It's not like this, okay? We have friends who recently, um, they recently invested in uh, a form of currency that is, you know, an alternate form of currency that has recently tanked. And they invested a little bit of money in this, and they lost the money. And we love these people. We love them dearly. And we asked, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Like, what happened? And they went, oh, it's, it's God's money. We're not worried about it. And I, it's like, yes, and nobody likes, oh, I just, you know, I lost money. People are going to make fun of me. Like, didn't you know Bitcoin is garbage? You know, Using God to hide from God is not how you're going to grow in your awareness of what God is and is doing in the world. There is a way, though, that's experiential. It's earthy and it's present. And it feels very counterintuitive. The only way, I think, to grow in your awareness of what God's doing is through trust. It's through trust. It's not through sinning less. And it's not through uh, taking your basketball and going home. The only way that we can grow in our capacity to handle salt is through trust. Right? You're like, that's like saying the way to grow in trusting God is through trusting God. Yeah. It is like saying that. Because it's experiential, right? So, again, not wrong, not knocking this, but sometimes we leave Sunday morning gatherings like this and there's just this spiritual high. Oh, it's so good to be together. I look around the room. I'm not alone worshiping Jesus. There's other people with me. Man, the Bible's amazing. Man, we, we are, God is so good. He's at work and we leave spiritually high and something happens on Monday, right? You're late for work. You can't find your keys and your three-year-old just vomited all over the counter. And you're like, not ideal. The salt is strong, but I'm going to trust God, all right? That's Monday morning. Thursday morning, though, you can't find your keys. Your six-year-old is punching your three-year-old, and they're both throwing up on the counter. Like, I've had it! We're done! All right, we're going back to this tree. Yeah, that's nice, but the, the pastor doesn't live in my world. Right? We got it. We got it. Come on, folks. Let's keep it together. The story of Abraham 
is incredibly life-giving for those of us who know, yes, I know I need to trust, but who keep finding ourselves at this tree. There, I don't mean to be controversial, but I don't believe in magic. All right? Sorry if that offends any magic folks out there. But, you know, I'm just like, yeah, no, I don't believe in magic, right? There is no magic when it comes to learning to live at this tree. It's not, oh, I met Jesus. Boom, it's so easy to trust. Woohoo! We're just ice skating downhill, and this is great. Oh, my goodness, life is wonderful, and it's so easy to trust. Can't find my keys. Don't worry, God has a plan in this, and I'm going to be late, probably avoid an accident. Life is great. Woohoo! When salt comes our way, and there's a reason it's salt. We don't like it. It's a lot. But when salt comes our way, all of us, we have it deeply ingrained. Me. I have my ways of running to this tree. Look, Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Okay, that guy, we write songs about this guy. He struggled. Some of you are like, what just happened? This guy struggled. We have it deeply ingrained. It's deep in our bones. We learn to navigate. This ain't a safe world. And if I'm not taking care of me, no one is. What, God's just going to pay my bills, right? I, what does this look like? Are you inviting me to total passivity? That's not the invitation. That's not the invitation that Abraham is inviting us into. He still had to leave. Right? God wasn't like, hey, I'm going to bless you and just, just watch. He says, I'm blessing you, now go. And in taking that step, hey, I, I'm just going to trust and I'm going to take that first step. And I'm going to see, whoa. Yeah, God did take me to the land. He's trustworthy. And that cultivates trust. So that when salt happens, we have a story to look back on and remind ourselves. The past is not supposed to stay in the past for the Bible. You and I are supposed to live this story. That every year a church budget comes up. We're not going to make it. We're probably going to have to shut down and lay everybody off. We're not going to make it. And then every year it's like, oh wait, God's faithful. Right? Like, I mean, I haven't been here for forever, but I, I, I was here one year where it's like, hey, it doesn't look good. We brought Craig on staff. I don't think we're going to make it. Somehow, God provided. Then it was Corona, Yikaroonies, I don't think we're going to make it. Somehow, God provided. And every year, is, and I don't think it's going to be this year. Because we leave the past in the past. The invitation is to say, just look back and say, oh, he provided. Now, I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I'm not saying you get whatever you want. His providing may look different. But what he's showing is, I'm good. I'm for you. I'm on your side and I'm coming after you. Just like I provided in the past. Trust me. Abraham doesn't. So we get blessing. We get threat. It happens again. Chapter 13. Okay, this time though, the blessing is a little, in, the threat is internal. 
Right? You're like, yeah, well, we can't control the salt. We can control ourselves. Look at what the Bible says about how Abram navigates things, okay? So here we go. Verse 2, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 13. Abram came up from Egypt, right? And he was very wealthy, right? So that it was threatened. What does God do? Provide. Amazing. All right, but keep going. Keep reading. Uh, verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds. So Abram's wealthy, Lot's wealthy. They got a lot of stuff. But the land could not support them. So the land God promised them can't support them. What's going on? Uh, while they stayed together for their possessions were so great, they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's set herd, herders and Lot's. Okay? So there's a threat here. Ugh. There's tension. There's thunder in paradise. We're not going to be able to make it. A threat to the promise. All right? How does Abraham react? Does he, does he help? He actually makes it way worse. What does he do? Uh, look with me in verse 8. So Abram says to Lot, Hey, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. Just a classic peace faker. Because watch what he does. Uh, or your herders and mine. We're relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Okay? What did he just do? God said, I'm going to give you this land. And Abram's like, giving it away. I don't want to fight. You just pick. Take, take whatever you want. It's another threat, and it's coming from Abram. So not only do we have salt, right? We have circumstances we can't control. People aren't getting along. We ourselves threaten this. Abram is like, ah, God promised this land. You can have it. What are you doing, bro? What is happening? Fortunately, Lot makes the right call. He picks, he's, he's selfish. He's at this tree. He's selfish. And then God appears to Abram, and look at what God says to him. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted, look around. All the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Now, when was the last time Genesis mentioned the phrase dust of the earth? The Lord God made the man from the dust of the earth. Picks him up, cares for him, breathes into him breath of life. Primary colors. God is, the author of Genesis is playing with this story saying, hey, just like God made a special creation, Adam, I'm doing something special through you, Abram. I'm for you. I'm coming after you. I'm relentless. You can't even mess this up. See, if the hope that we have for growth is I got to stop sinning, you just became your hope for the Christian life. And look, it's really hard to stop sinning when the salt gets crazier and crazier and crazier. You can do it for a little bit, but we're kidding ourselves if you can say like, hey, salt doesn't bother me. We weren't made to ingest all this chaos. We're not our hope for the world. Our hope rather is a God who's faithful. And when we know the story, it starts to expand. We start to say, well, you know what? Right now, I feel threatened. I don't know how any good can come out of this. I've gotten this as far as I can go, and it seems like this is the end. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to do what God is saying. I've prayed about it, and I don't see a way forward. But God, I'm going to stay under this tree because I know a story. I know a story that happened in real time, in real space, where this knucklehead that you said you were going to bless the world through, 
did not really trust you. He kept running around, and you kept blessing him. Amazing. And this is why, seriously, I, I'm just going to get a little... I'm okay getting emails about this. I'm going to get a little concrete specific here, okay? My heart gets sad every time I hear people say, you know, I got to get out of here. I got to move somewhere where people really do agree with whatever, my politics, my this, my that. My heart just goes, oh, makes me really sad. Because you know what you're doing? You're looking at the stadium and you're saying, man, these seats are all blue. They'll never be red. I'm going to go somewhere where I think the seats are more red. You know what's going to happen? A couple of years later, you're like, oh, these seats, maybe I like blue better. You're just, you know, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. And you're robbing people of the, the promises that God says. I'm going to bless the world through you. But you don't know the people I'm around. Some of these people who are chaotic are actually in my family. They're really hard to be around. I'm like, yes. And, and if we know the story, look at this. So Lot, remember how they, they parted ways? Uh, Lot went to a place where then four kings went to war with him and captured him. So there's violence in the valley. All right? And somebody escapes the battle and they come and tell Abram the Hebrew, and where was he living? In uh, Genesis 14, 13, where was he living? At the great trees. Right? The biblical authors are giving us a hint as to what Abram's posture was. At Mamre, the, of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, brother Aner. All right, now the Hebrew makes it clearer that he's under the tree with that guy Mamre. And they were allies. Okay? So here's, let me just paint a picture of what's going on here. There, the land that God had promised, there's violence in the valley. The people living in the land are destroying the land. Abram, though, is under a tree at peace. Somebody leaves the violence and says, Abram, help. And Abram is under that tree with Gentiles. Not God's people. And those Gentiles are experiencing blessing with Abraham. What's happening here? I will make your name great. People knew he was a person of peace. And uh, you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. He's blessing the world through Abraham. You cannot take your basketball and go home. Your office needs you. Your co-workers will be blessed through you. When you live at this tree and then go to your workplace, chairs will turn red. You may not be aware of it. You may not see it. Some of that is because your cup is too small. But I promise you, when you ask God, show me what you're doing at my office. Show me what you're doing at my Thanksgiving table with this knuckle-headed son-in-law. Show me what you're doing. And I try, I'm going to take one step at a time. I'm not going to give advice. I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm just going to sit at the tree and trust one step at a time. Your cup grows. Your capacity gets stronger. The salt doesn't change. We can't control that. Mr. Midwest taught us, hey, some things are out of our control. But we can control our capacity. Am I going to stay at this 
awful looking poplar tree? Try to trust my own wisdom to navigate it? Or am I going to invite Jesus into this? Jesus, what are you doing at my office? Jesus, what are you doing in this meeting? Jesus, what are you doing with these kids? I invest a lot into these kids and I don't really know if that investment's going anywhere. Help me see. And I trust you. And there's a long story of not only God blessing us when we stay at that tree, that he's working for our flourishing, but flourishing spreads. Health impacts unhealth. Unhealth cannot carry the weight of the salt. That's why it's unhealth. But health can. The people around you matter too much for you to move away. For you to try to protect your little space of the land. They matter too much. Our vision for what God can do through us is way too small. And then what happens is we tell ourselves false histories, false stories. Well, people in the past just had it way easier. That's the book you found me. That's why we keep hammering away at that book. There, is, there was no time in America where it was just like, woohoo, this is smooth sailing, easy street. Anyone know the musical? Luke. Oh, my gosh. Annie. Okay. We got some work to do. There was no time in America where everyone's just like, man, like, we're, everybody's saved and this is so easy. The American Revolution, if you read letters from British Christians to American Christians, they're like, you guys got to give up. That place is too far gone. It is bad. Get out. And what happened? Methodists said, hey, every member is a minister. We are all going to take ownership and we're all going to be a blessing. And what happened? Revival. Robert Putnam, who I think is secular, has a book called The Upswing, where he started the whole first part of the book, I thought he was talking about today. He's saying things like, we've never been this divided since the Civil War. Man, the income inequality gap is growing. Pretty soon you're going to have haves and have-nots, and there's going to be an impassable gap. And you're like, man, is he just reading today's headlines? And it was, he was literally reading headlines from the Gilded Age. When was that? Basically the end of the 1800s. What, what happened? What changed? That it's headed off the cliff and turned around? What Putnam thinks is that Americans, evangelicals, said, let's get to work. Right? Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's be a blessing. Let's love our neighbors. Let's join these institutions instead of running away from them. Let's go to the university. Let's go to this. Let's work. Let's get to work. Let's, this is who we are. We're healthy people. Because you know what? It looks bad. It looks pretty dark. But we have a story where when it gets dark, God shows up and provides. Now, the story of Abraham gets a little more interesting, though. This is the last time for a while that trees get mentioned. You have three chapters, 15, 16, and 17, where there's no mention of trees. What happens in 15, 16, and 17? Abram takes matters into his own hands. They abuse a slave girl, and they, they have a child through this slave girl, and there is no mention of trees. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. They're like, we don't have kids. Let's take this in our own hands. They create an abusive situation toward this innocent woman, and they wreak chaos, and there's no mention of trees. 
because Abram left the tree and chaos took place. Please, what's at stake if you don't stay at this tree? You can be kicking up more chaos than you ever dared possible. It is crucial. Not just in your family, but as for society, it's crucial we stay at this tree. The invitation out right now is like, oh, what's happening? Gun control, pick a side, right? Culture war, pick a side. No, 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 this is our side, the tree. We're, we can do so much damage when we go, oh, no, 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 this is, that's all fine when things are good, things are bad, go to this tree. Abram made things way worse. And the story of Ishmael's offspring with uh, Isaac's offspring is just a parable of again and again Israel's history. They're constantly at war and getting tripped up because of this tree. But that's not the end of the story. Abram gets tested again. And it is a test. And it's a really confusing test. God appears to Abraham and says... Kill your son. Now, this opens up a whole quandary of ethical problems and questions that we all have. And like, if, you know, a deacon at this church said, hey, God appeared to me and said, kill my son, we'd be like, guess what? You're no longer a deacon and we're surrounding you with help. All right? And if you have questions about it, we can talk about it more. Suffice it to say, Abram is looking at a situation where... He had, his story said the promise keeps getting threatened from circumstances, from salt, from me. Now it feels like the promise is being threatened by God. But his cup is bigger. His capacity to hold these things is greater. And so he's able to say, I don't know, but I know one thing. God is for me. He's on my side. He's coming after me. And me, oh my, is he relentless. If I've learned anything, I've just learned, you can't trip this God up. So he takes a step into something that doesn't make sense. And again, if you think God is calling you into something violent or against his character, he is not. All right? He is not. Abraham takes that step. And what does he say to Isaac on the way up the mountain when he's going to put his son on the altar? He says, God will provide. So he knew, he knew, hey, it doesn't make sense, but I have a history telling me a different story. My capacity has grown, not because I know that history, I've experienced that history. I keep stepping out in trust. Now, trees get us into messes, and trees get us out of messes. Genesis twenty-two thirteen says this. So the voice says, do not, don't do it, don't do it. Abraham listens. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram was caught in the thicket by its horns. Thicket, the word for thicket in Hebrew is the same word for a group of trees. God provided something in the trees. He's saying, my presence is life-giving, it's sustaining, and it will keep you. And look in my presence, right? I'm providing for you. And it's life-giving. You get to live. Something caught in the trees saved Abram. The story keeps going, and it moves from something getting caught in a tree 
to someone getting caught in a tree. God himself got tangled up in a tree to rescue us. Not only does he provide by giving us good gifts, by helping us grow in our awareness that he is for us and he is at work in our lives, he himself offers himself as a gift on the cross. And trusting that expands your capacity like you would never believe. We just receive. We're needy people and we just say, I receive. You provide. And it's out of that receptivity that the chairs start to flip. I have never been more excited about Compass's future. I haven't. We're seeing people get really excited about this tree of life. We're seeing people say, look, I have no idea where we're headed. I don't know what's going on. But this roller coaster sure is fun because he's providing every step of the way, what we need, when we need it. I've heard testimonies of people saying, there was one person who told me a testimony that they were sitting in these seats and they heard, they heard the message about how God is for us, he's on our side. And they said for the first time in their life, it felt like God just ripped their sin away from him and said, I love him for you. It's happening in this room. And we're going to keep expanding our capacity because we're going to have to because it's going to get salty. Right? This is a spiritual war. Our battle is not, not, not against flesh and blood. All right? Compass members, we are not the enemy. But there is an enemy. And he wants to keep our cup small. And he wants the salt to kill us. That's why it's imperative that no matter what happens with politics, inflation, stagflation, is Ray Dalio right? Are we headed off a cliff? No matter what happens with, uh, in your connection group, you share stories, you try to be vulnerable, you want to be known, and people use that against you. No matter what happens, we can say we have a faithful God who not just gave us a ram, but gave us himself and said, you can stay at this tree. There's life here. And when you receive that life, chairs will flip. Father, Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, help us close the gap between where we are and where we hope to be. God, I pray that you'd give us dreams of a future that we can't even imagine, where we would see renewal, where we'd see flourishing, where we'd see transformation that we didn't even think was possible. God, we know we can do this because you're with us. We know we can do this because you are for us, you're on our side. You're coming after us. And good golly, are you relentless. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.